Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. So before we read the scripture uh, today, remember that we've been looking at the Apostles' Creed in this uh, message series. And even though this is a contemporary service and we don't normally do uh, one of the creeds or affirmations in this service, we have in recent weeks done the Apostles' Creed. I've mentioned before that the Apostles' Creed in its earliest usage was used around the time of baptism. And so when somebody came for baptism, they were asked the questions. And so the the Apostles' Creed was done in a question-answer kind of format. So I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able, and we are going to uh, do the Apostles' Creed in that way today. Do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. So now, will you listen for the word of the Lord? Hello, I'm Emily Smith, and I will be reading John 14, verses 1 through 7, 25, and 26. Don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My Father's house has room to spare. If that weren't the case, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Where I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and take you to be with me, so that where I am, you will be too. You know the way to the place I'm going. Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have really known me, you will also know the Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. I have spoken these things to you while I am with you. The companion, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I told you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Emily, for reading the scripture today. We appreciate you doing that. So before I launch into the message, I just want to make a quick comment about an email many of you received early uh, in the week uh, regarding our financial status. Uh, That email serves as a follow-up to, uh, I don't know, about a month ago in worship, I talked about uh, our income expense uh, financial status kind of thing as we experience it through the year at a month-by-month kind of way. And so this email is a follow-up kind of saying, okay, here's where we are right now to provide you that information, provide transparency about uh, the situation that we face. So I'm grateful to Trevor Castilla, the leadership board chair, uh, Blake Brunson, who is the finance team chair, Alana Ellis, and uh, James Shelby for their work on uh, crafting that uh, to communicate that to us. So uh, 
this church and many churches uh, it would depend on weekly and monthly offerings uh, to manage cash flow as you go through and have the expenses that you have. So we're just encouraging those of you uh, that might consider, if you haven't done this already, to set up a regular uh, monthly uh, offerings uh, so that it's, we kind of uh, leave enough peaks and valleys along the way. Financial status is, is, is important to the leadership board. Uh, it is discussed every time that the leadership board meets, and we have a meeting on Thursday. So uh, be in prayer for us as we continue to uh, learn more about that and talk and discuss those matters. So if you have any questions, please let me know. I'll be glad to answer any questions you have. So we are concluding the series today, We Believe. Uh, we've been looking at the Apostles' Creed. Not only that, uh, we've had several study groups who have been reading and studying the book Creed by Adam Hamilton, which is a study of the Apostles' Creed. So all through Lent, we have been digging deep into uh, our very basic uh, Christian beliefs as formulated very early on in the Christian community. And so um, some of you might remember years ago, uh, it just seemed like it would happen fairly often that you'd see in the news something about crop circles crop circles that at, on the ground level you, know, you wouldn't notice anything but in a wheat field in Nebraska or a cornfield in Iowa from the air you look down and there the, 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 the crops had been pressed over in such a way that it made a design and these were large I mean these were large designs in the field and they were odd and people were trying to figure out what does this mean well there, there were uh, quite a few people who were completely convinced that aliens made them and that they were messages and so uh, I even remember watching a documentary about this years ago, about you know, all the theories of how the aliens did these things and trying to figure out what's the message. And so um, somewhere along the way, uh, a news crew was, was digging into this, and they, um, uh, they hooked up with the people who were actually making the crop circles and said, could we, could we film this? Could we you know, interview you and everything? They said, yes, we'll let our secret out. And so they interviewed them, and then they went and interviewed the guy who's the head of the organization that is convinced aliens do the crop circles, and he, is, he was working full on about convincing the world aliens make the crop circles. And so they went, and they were interviewing him. And then somewhere along the way, they said, we'd like to show you a video. And they showed him the video. And he said, well, clearly they've learned to mimic the techniques of the aliens. Wow, I mean, that guy believed. He believed. See, we believe all sorts of things, don't we? We believe all kinds of things. We may not even be cognizant of how much we believe. I mean, certainly, belief in the Easter Bunny is important in a couple of weeks, right? Some people believe in aliens. Some people believe the earth is round. Some people believe the, earth, the world is flat. It, there's all kinds of things that we people cling to in a belief. So any belief is, also has some measure of, of mystery. Because, uh, I mean, by definition, a belief has to be something that's by faith. <laughs> if you have firm evidence, proof that something happens, well, it's no longer a belief. It's, oh, well, that's a reality. Of course, any more facts and reality are up in the air, up for grabs. Anyway... But what you believe and how you live your life based on that belief are important. Because belief is very powerful. 
It's, it's something of a, of a mixture between uh, deep conviction and uh, humility and mystery. Knowing I don't know everything, but I have deep convictions. And so being open to new information and at the same time not just throwing it all away. So we Christians do affirmations and creeds because we believe them. We believe what they say. We believe the things in the Apostles' Creed. If someone were to ask me, okay, I want you to prove Jesus was raised from the dead. Well, I can tell you it says it in the Bible. And there apparently were a lot of witnesses to it. I can't prove it. But I believe it. If someone said, well, explain it. How did that happen? I'd say, I don't know how. But I believe it. There's billions of people who would testify that this is true. That basing our life on the, on the, the beliefs in the Bible is true. That is life-giving to us. So we, build, we believe and we build on these beliefs. Now, when we think of belief, we often use the word belief and faith kind of interchangeably. And so uh, when I think of that, I think of the Hebrews chapter 11. And so when you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, here's the definition. Faith is the reality of what we hope for. The proof of what we don't see. I mean, that's, that's interesting, right? Kind of this weird juxtaposition, proof of what we don't see. But that's belief, that's faith. To believe and cling to those things as true and base my life on it. Well, it still maybe, may seem kind of vague, so just go to verse 3 in Hebrews 11. And it says, by faith, we understand that the universe has been created by a word from God so that the visible came into existence from the invisible. I really like the way that's worded. We understand this to be true. We understand God created the universe. I can't tell you how. (laughs) We understand, we believe God created. So we believe those things we said in the Apostles' Creed just a little bit ago. And today, the last in this series, we're going to take those last three statements. The forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. So we're going to talk about those three things. I'll start with uh, the resurrection of the body, then the life everlasting, and then back to uh, forgiveness of sins. So, so what's meant exactly by the resurrection of the body? I mean, is that, is that just referring to Jesus, that we believe Jesus' body was raised? Well, it doesn't seem to make sense because we, we've already said that. When we said, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes, we believe he died, was raised on the third day. We've already said that. So something else might be going on. Because remember, this was, this was formulated in the late second century. Long time ago. When you read the letters of Paul in the New Testament, you begin to understand kind of what's going on in the formulation of a creed like this. The early Christian community believed Jesus would return at any time. I mean, even Paul would recommend to people, don't get married because Jesus is returning soon. (laughs) Don't make long-term plans. Jesus is returning. And so people based their lives on that. They they, they thought, okay, all right, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Well, as time passed... Of course, some people began to wonder, why hasn't he returned yet? And, some, and then people in their, in their Christian believer fellowship, well, some of them died. I mean, they, natural causes, or they had become ill, they had an accident. 
And so the people began to worry. Wait, <laughs> wait, we, we were all expecting Jesus to return, and now what if they die? What happens then? They won't, they won't be ready for Jesus. They won't encounter Jesus when he returns. So Paul, through many of his letters, and certainly this is an affirmation in the Apostles' Creed, is encouraging the people to say, they're not going to miss out. In the early church, in the very earliest church, they believed that when Jesus returned, the dead would rise to meet him. Meaning, anybody? I mean, some of you have probably seen some of those uh, depictions in some uh, Christian art that when Jesus returns and you see these people coming up out of cemeteries. There was a belief that that would happen. And so, matter of fact, this has even influenced how we do burials from about a thousand years ago. Um, you might have noticed that when you go to a, to, a, to a cemetery, the headstones face east, which means that the feet of the people are pointing east, right? Well, that's because in Matthew 24, Jesus in, in, in indicates when he returns, it will be from the east. So the idea is, is as people are buried, that when, the re- when, when Jesus returns and their resurrection happens, that they will be able to, just as they come up, they will see the returning Jesus. We still do that today. The idea that we, we would somehow be raised to meet Jesus in the final day. Now, in that day and time, that was incredibly important because they were concerned about their loved ones who had died and thought they're going to miss out. And Paul's letters, many times as he addressed this, you have to remember he's a pastor first. He's not so much trying to write a theological document. He's being a pastor to the people and assuring them, don't worry. Don't worry. When Jesus returns, your loved ones will be included in whatever way that looks like. So don't worry. It's okay. Be assured. Well, maybe this is a good, good place to address a line that we didn't say today. We, we typically don't have it. Uh, other, some traditions don't use it, but in some traditions there's a line when we say what we believe about Jesus Christ. We say that he died, was buried, and he descended to the dead. I'm just curious. Anybody been in a place where you've heard that? There's, there's just there's a few hands. That that's the idea that Jesus, when Jesus died, he descended to the dead. Well, Okay, what does that mean? Uh, and, and why don't we say it? Well, it's a long, convoluted story uh, that involves uh, editorial mistakes and printing press mistakes, but uh, from a long time ago. Um, but some traditions don't include that. And part of that is because while it's mentioned in a couple of places in the Bible, it's not like there's a, a teaching, you know, this consistent teaching throughout the Bible. So it's kind of like you have these mentions well, different traditions interpret that line differently. Uh, some, that, that some have the, the thought that when Jesus uh, died, he descended literally into hell. Basically, to break the gates of hell open and to say, anybody here want to come with me? Come on. That he has power even over hell. Other traditions say, well, no, what it means to say he descended to the dead means that when Jesus died, he really died. Because you see, there was a heresy a long time ago that Jesus wasn't really human. It just appeared that he died, but he never really died. Okay, well, this is an affirmation that no, we, we believe he descended to a literal physical death. 
a bodily death. But really, I think one theologian put it pretty well. He said, really, this is just really intended to convey that there is nothing that the power of Jesus can't break through. There is nothing that can withstand the power of Jesus, even the power of death. As it says in, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ, even, even our own death. So, that kind of leads us into that, that, that uh, next line, that we believe in the life everlasting. In the life everlasting. I mean, Jesus even said in that scripture passage, right? I will go to prepare a place for you. That's a scripture passage we often read at funerals, memorial services. It, it, it comforts us and consoles us to think that our loved one who has passed away is now in the place that has been prepared by Jesus. Even at that, there's still differing beliefs of what that life after this one is like. Uh, even in the Bible, there's some different reflections, and of course, those are all visionary by nature, because that's not something we have people telling about. Oh, I, I know, every now and then, we, there's a book that'll come out, and someone will say they were in an accident, they were uh, uh, ruled clinically dead, and 30 minutes later, they woke up. And, but they saw things. They, they saw the light, they saw people. I'm not second-guessing that. I've not had that experience myself. I'm not second-guessing it, but maybe they saw a glimpse of that life to come, that everlasting life. Even at that, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but we believe that it is a place where we will be in some form of relationship with God, with Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. See, this was a very powerful belief in that second century when the Apostles' Creed was formulated. It was very powerful. It was, in the late second century, uh, the Roman Empire was particularly cruel to Christians. A lot of martyrdoms happened during that time. And so as they saw some of their uh, loved ones, some of their uh, fellow church members being tortured and uh, killed, it was really important to know. It was really important to know and to believe there is a life after this, and we will be free of pain. There will be no more suffering. Even when you read some of the, the accounts of some of the early church martyrs, um, that's, that's part of what they talk about, is how they look forward to the paradise that they get to experience. I mean, even, even when Jesus was on the cross, remember the account? Jesus, and and there's, there's two thieves on crosses beside him. One of them is really not nice to Jesus. And the other one says, hey, be nice. He's innocent. And Jesus told him, today you will be with me in paradise. An important comforting belief that we believe there is a life everlasting. There is more to come than simply this physical life on earth. But now that we've had a chance to read through the Bible... Genesis to Revelation, which the early, earliest church didn't have. We, begin, we, we know now the teaching of Jesus is that, is that eternal life, everlasting life, is not just for after you die. It begins now. We are to live the life everlasting now. Pastor uh, Rick Warren, founding pastor of Saddleback Church, says that, that living out the Christian life in this world, in this life, is simply practice for what we're going to be doing in heaven. 
We begin living it now. We don't have to wait. Yes, Jesus goes to prepare a place for us. And Jesus told his followers, and I will be with you to the end of the age. And in that scripture passage said, and, and we, God will send the Holy Spirit to be with you. So that now you can begin living in that fashion. And so the forgiveness of sins becomes important if we're going to live that life now. I know we, we often think of forgiveness of sins that that's going, to be our, that's going to be our entry into the next life where we will enjoy fellowship with God. That because God has forgiven our sins, we, and that's true. I mean, that, sure. But it's more than that. It's more than just having those sins forgiven at the last minute. Okay, now I get to go in. I've got, now I know the password. And I can, I, can, I can get in. It's way more than that. Because forgiveness of sins, I mean, I mean that, that means that, that we acknowledge there are things that we have done we shouldn't have done. Things we didn't do we should have done. Maybe, maybe people have been hurt by that. Maybe we've made a situation worse. And so, yes, I need God's forgiveness. But that forgiveness doesn't mean that, there are, that we are free of the consequences of some of our actions that were not so good. It, I just mean that, that that gives us a chance. Since I've been forgiven, since that's not going to be held against me in my eternal life, I now can be free to live under the grace of God and to ask forgiveness and to make amends and to try to make things right as best I can. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. It helps making living this everlasting life in the here and now a lot easier when we know my sins are not held against me. But we've talked about, I don't know, a few weeks ago, I can't remember how long ago it was, I talked about the difference between discipline and punishment. And when we think of sin, especially in the Bible, it talks about sin and the punishment of sin. And yet forgiveness means the punishment is taken care of. But we think of discipline, learning, that we learn. Next time, I'm going to do that differently. Next time, I will not say that. That was not helpful. Next time, I'll make that situation better instead of worse. We learn from it. So we begin living the life everlasting in the here and now. But it's not just that. (laughs) Forgiveness is not simply about, oh, good, I'm glad I'm forgiven. When we do the Lord's Prayer, like we did just a few moments ago, we say, forgive us our trespasses. Trespasses, some traditions say debts, some say sin. Forgive us our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. So forgiveness has got to be a two-way street. I've not just been forgiven so I can go, whew, thank goodness, So I can be forgiven, and under that grace of that freedom and the grace of God, I can become a forgiving person. I don't have to hold on to resentments. I don't have to let those control me. Resentment doesn't have to live. I don't have to give resentment rent-free space in my head and heart. I know, but what if someone doesn't come to you and say, I'm so sorry? I messed up. I apologize. What about that? 
Because that's really what we often want, right? We want someone to come and uh, maybe even, you know, grovel a little bit to say how sorry they are. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're not sorry. Sometimes they're not even aware that what they said hurt you or what they did offended you. What do you do then? Because that's kind of awkward. <laughs> you know, go to somebody. You know, you really offended me when. And sometimes that's important to do, but it's also kind of awkward. Well, see, the thing about forgiveness is, is that I can be a forgiving person even if they don't apologize, even if they don't say they're sorry. I can be a forgiving person. Now, that doesn't mean, remember, there's, that doesn't get you away from consequences. That doesn't mean that it's just, oh, hey, whatever goes, I don't care, say what you want, do what you want. No, 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 no. But I have to let that resentment live in me, even if they don't ask. I can let go of that. I can be a forgiving person. See, belief is not simply what you can understand or prove. The world around us wants, wants us to do that on everything. You've got to prove it. Of course, I don't know. Facts are up in the air these days. But belief is not about what we can understand or prove. It's what, we, it's what we can say, this is my conviction. I believe this is true. I'm open to learning new things, but I believe this is true. And I'm going to orient my life around it. See, belief is about trust. It's about trust. Trust in God. Yes, there are still some aspects of mystery that we don't understand yet. But we trust. We believe these things to be true. We orient our lives around these beliefs to more fully be the people God calls us and intends us to be so that we can confidently say, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. Amen? Amen. So be it. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.